0: Um, would somebody read verses 1
1: to 3 Hiram king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and masons and carpenters to build him a house David perceived that Jehovah had established him king over Israel for his kingdom was exalted on high for for his people Israel's sake and David took more wives to Jerusalem and David begat more sons and daughters
0: Okay, very good. This uh, chapter 14 is sort of an interlude between the two episodes of moving the ark. This fills the space of the three months. I don't know that all this happened in that three months, but as the writer of Chronicles sets this out for us, these are some of the things he puts in here um, to kind of help us spend some time wondering what's ever going to happen with this ark before we come back to the uh, finishing of the story in chapter 15. And there's some helpful things for us. First of all, we read about the um, building of David's uh, palace. And, and who helped him build it? Hiram, who was... Yeah, Hiram, the king of Tyre. And uh, then David realized that the Lord was the one who had exalted him and established him as king. That's so true. And... Uh, It just, uh, we just have to constantly see the hand of the Lord in David's life, and we need to see it in our own. We need to be more aware of how the Lord is the one that's blessing us and prospering us. And then in verse 3, David took more wives, and uh, he had a bunch of children, you can read those names in 4 through 7 if you like, and if you know how to pronounce them all, uh, you're a good uh, good person, so... uh, but that's, these are David's blessings, the palace, the children, and in the end of this chapter we're going to read how he defeated the Philistines. So you see God being with David and God blessing David. Do you have comments and questions on those first seven verses? Okay, uh, 8 to 17.
2: the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up and searched for <coughs> David. And David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will give them into your hand. So they came up to Paragon. And David defeated them there, and David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand, like to break through the water. Therefore they named that place Belperidim, and they abandoned their gods there. So David gave the order, and they were burned with fire. <coughs> the Philistines made yet another raid in the valley. And David inquired of his God. and God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Go <coughs> around behind them, and come at them in front of the balsam tree. It shall be when you hear the the sound of marching in the south of the boughs trees, and you shall go out to battle. For God will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. David did just as God had commanded him, and they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon even as far as Jesus. And the fame of David went out in all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations.
0: Okay, so David had sort of been a Philistine ally. Earlier on, during that period in which he was at Ziklag and so forth, but now that the Philistines know that David has consolidated his power, has become king over all Israel, what is their thinking?
3: A little worried.
0: They are worried. And before David has a chance to consolidate his power, what do they decide to do? Yeah, they're going to attack. <laughs> They're they're going to uh, try to dethrone him just as soon as he gets on the throne. And uh, David hears about that. And uh, what's the first thing David does? Uh, Exactly, which is precisely the right thing. The thing he didn't do in chapter 13, he asked the Lord, what should I do? Should I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And he says, yes, I will. You go up. And David does. Um, God, uh, gave him the, the victory, um, in, in 1411, it says David literally smote them there. Back in 1310, God smote Uzzah. <laughs> now God has turned his anger from one of the Israelites to the Philistines. In 1411, they named that place, uh, the master of, of, of breakthrough or, or breakout, of outburst, uh, just as, uh. 13.11, God made the outburst against Uzzah. So the outburst of God has switched from being against Uzzah now to being against the Philistines. God is willing to bless David and, and turn the battle in his favor. What did they do with the gods that the uh, Philistines abandoned? Yes. Yeah which is what the law said to do. There's several passages in the law that they were supposed to burn the gods. Don't bring them into the tabernacle as a trophy or something like that. They'd be tempted to worship them, perhaps. So they burned them just as God said. Then the Philistines attacked again. And what did David again do? Well, why not just assume the answer will be the same? He's already asked once. Why ask again? Was the answer the same? No. He had different strategy this time. He was to circle around behind them. If he had just assumed that God would say the same thing, then he would not have used the strategy God wanted him to use. We need to ask and keep asking. In every situation, we need to ask, what's God's will here? And so David shows a great deal of faith in God, and uh, the Lord brought the nations around him to fear him, The Lord blessed him. When David is asking God and relying on God and trusting in God, God blesses him. Comments and questions? Okay, that's chapter 14. Um, Chapter 15, we're back to the ark. Would somebody read 1 to 3?
4: David built houses for himself in the city of David and prepared a place for the Ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one may carry the Ark of God with the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the Ark of God to the ministers before him forever. And David, gather up, David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared
0: for it. All right, this is kind of like uh, deja vu. <laughs> you know, again, David has decided to bring the Ark to Jerusalem, only this time he's going to do it the right way, but he has prepared the place for the ark, he, he gets the Levites together, uh, he realizes that God wants them to carry the ark, he's getting all of Jerusalem, all of Israel together at Jerusalem to celebrate again, and he gets uh, these Levites together, you read in 4 through 10, as they're going to take the lead in bringing the ark into uh, the, the city of Jerusalem. Um, and, and in verse 11, <clears throat> David called for the, the priests and some Levites, and look at what he says to them. I think this is very significant. David has learned something. You know, uh, it, it's bad to fall once, but it's bad to fall the same way the next time. You know, the first time you learn a lesson, you ought not to make the same mistake twice, and David didn't. So would somebody read 12 to 15? This is what David says to these Levites.
5: And he said to them, You are the heads of the father's household of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives. So you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us. We did not seek him according to the order. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon as Moses had commanded according to the word of the
2: Lord. Okay.
0: So what's he telling these Levites? Do it right. Yeah. And why did the God make an outburst on them? Why had he done that? Yeah. They didn't do it the way God said. I like the end of verse 13. We did not seek him according to the ordinance. In other words, we didn't follow the rules. We didn't carry it the way God prescribed in the law of Moses. He has learned the lesson. He says, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it the way God said. It's not that God didn't want them to bring the ark in. It's that he wanted them to respect his will and his word in doing so. And uh, after three months, David has realized that. And he's going to do it the right way this time a good lesson in that. That's exactly what we must do. It's not enough to do good things. We must do good things in the way the law says, the way the word says. All right, comments questions through verse 15. I think
4: it's interesting that David sees that he did the wrong thing. I and mean, I think it's easy for David to realize, to say, you know, hey, maybe I just shouldn't touch the ark, but we're still going to do it on the cart. It's a little more efficient but you see that he did the wrong thing and he makes the change of the history. and we as well do it. It doesn't help for us to you know, figure out that maybe this thing was not right, but we're still overall going to do kind of the wrong thing, and maybe that'll
0: make it better. It's a very good point. David has a sensitive conscience. Sometimes we're too into shifting the blame to somebody else to ever recognize that we are at fault. David recognizes this publicly. I think that's in, uh, interesting. I mean, how many times do you ever hear oh say elders in a church say, we made a mistake. We did not do the right thing. I, I, I'll, uh, I think I can tell this in a way that's uh, sufficiently vague. But, but I was talking uh, not too long ago with a friend of mine who uh, preaches in another place. And he was talking about uh, some, some studies he'd had with, with the elders on a particular subject that they had asked him to study with him, a Bible subject, because the elders in this church had disagreed about the subject. And that he had studied this with them. They had started with the Bible passages, and they just studied them carefully. And he said the next time they all got together to do the next study, one of the elders said, listen, I came into the first study ready to prove this other elder wrong. But after studying through the Bible passages, I can see that I was the one who was wrong and that what I believed about this wasn't right. Now, what do you think about that? Can you imagine, you know, elders saying, hey, I was wrong about this, and just admitting it? What about preachers? What about other leaders in a church? Is it, is it, you know, would you think it just really weird that, that they'd say, listen, we didn't do this the right way. We didn't handle this the way God said. We were wrong. Let's do this right now. I think that speaks very well of David also. That he not only recognizes it, but he doesn't try to sweep it under the rug and just sort of change it quietly so nobody realizes it. He just, he owns up to his responsibility. Good point, John. Yep. Other thoughts?
1: That's one of the biggest differences between him and Saul is that in every, in almost every situation that you see Saul, when he fails, the first thing he does when he's uh, faced with that is he blames other people or tries to pass the blame off. Uh, you know, starting back, we studied Sunday in First Samuel thirteen, uh, where we saw uh, after he had failed to wait on Samuel to come back, he said it was it, it was the people that were scattering, and uh, the Philistines were coming upon him, and you didn't come. Blaming all, blaming all those different people and never looking at what he did. And then that just continues on in every other mistake that he made. He makes excuses for his sin and, and blames other people. And yet we, when you're, the one sin that sticks out to us the most with David is Bathsheba. And, and when he's finally faced with that, he says, I have sinned. Uh, and here we see David admitting his fault here as well. I think it's really interesting to see the contrast between Saul and David and then.
0: Sometimes we have almost a knee-jerk reaction to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves, Daniel. I think it's important
6: for us that you know, you talked about it's great if the elders or the preacher or whatever says, you know, this is wrong, we didn't do this right, let's fix it. But most of the fears aren't there yet, but that doesn't involve us from if we see the elders making a decision that we with it because well they're in power, you know, they know better than I do, so um like Uzza didn't make the decision to carry the ark that way, but God didn't absolve him from disobeying
0: him. Good point. What if a few of those people David had consulted in the first place had said this is not the way the law says to do it, maybe they would have kept this whole incident from happening. Sometimes we need to be more forthright about that. It's a good point. Thought. Other, other comments? All right, so look at what David does, starting in verse 16. Um, David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives, the singers, with instruments of music, harps, lyres, loud-sounding cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman the son of Joel, and from his relatives, various people, and more people in verse 18. And in verse 19, there's singers that are appointed to sound aloud cymbals of bronze. And there's some more in 20 with harps turned to Alamoth. And in 21, there's some to lead with lyres turned to the Shevineth. Evidently musical instructions of some sort. In 22, you've got Kenaniah, whatever, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing. He gave instruction in singing because he was skillful. You've got gatekeepers for the ark in 23. You've got some priests in 24 that blew the trumpets before the ark of God. You've also got some gatekeepers for the ark. So here it's in more detail um, what all they're doing and the musical accompaniment to this celebration. As this time they bring the ark in the right way, and uh, they they certainly are concerned to worship God. Um, and now they're worshiping God obediently. Comments and questions. Alright, 25 to 29.
6: So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who were carrying <coughs> the ark, and as were the singers of Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choir. David also wore a linen, ephod. <coughs> so all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets, and the cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, call daughter of Saul, watched from a window and when she saw King David dancing and celebrating,
0: she despised him in her heart. So you see the celebration. You see them carrying the ark, sacrificing bulls and rams as they go, the singing, the, the shouting, the horns and trumpets and cymbals and harps and lyres. This is a grand parade. This is a great celebration. Uh, but Michael, Saul's daughter, why is she thinking? Why?
3: <clears throat>
0: yes. What would she want him to do? <laughs> yes. Look like a king. Act like a king. He's too important to be celebrating with the common worshipers. You know, he needs to be more dignified, more formal. He's a bit above the others. She did not appreciate things of God. Really, she, she seems a lot like her father. And, and it may show us again why Saul and his family just were not competent to lead the people in serving God. You know, she just doesn't get it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we are too concerned with our dignity. To be willing to do something more enthusiastic and radical in serving God. Comments and questions? All right. Um, Chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. So they bring the ark into the tent, they offer offerings, David blesses the people, and then they share food together and some sort of a a, a meal here. There is so much to this bringing the ark in. This is such a central thing because this is the place where they're going to inquire of the Lord. This is God's presence with them. And so they have this great celebration and there's this great prayer that's offered to celebrate (laughs) the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. You know, to us, does it, does it really uh, get you all excited to think about the ark of God coming into Jerusalem? <laughs> you know, is that, a, is that an emotional uh, passage for you here? You know, I think for most of us, it's like, well, you know, I mean, you've move, moved furniture before, haven't you? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, get this ark in there. But that's not the way they looked at it. They saw this quite differently because of the symbolism of the ark. God's presence there, the opportunity to even inquire of the Lord there. To them, this wasn't just moving some furniture. This was actually turning to the Lord and asking for his presence to be there with them and among them. It was moving to them. You know, we need to be more impressed with the importance of God's presence, more excited about that. And uh, I think you can see they really were. Um, comments and questions. In 4, he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Here are some of their names. And uh, they have musical instruments, harps, lyres, and Asaph played loud-sounding cymbals and Manai and Jehaziel. Uh, the priests blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. And now we're going to read the, the, the thanks, the prayer, or song, or whatever you want to call it, of praise to God. Now, this psalm in 8 to 36 is actually composed of parts of three psalms in the psalms. It's composed of parts of Psalm 105... 96 and 106. And, uh, but but it, it certainly fits uh, appropriately here as a psalm of, of praise and just joy for the fact that the Lord had blessed them with his presence there in Jerusalem. Do you have any comments before we study the psalm? These are Psalms 105, 96, and 106. Certain parts of those psalms. Only in the case of 96 is it the entire song. OK, um, Let's look at this. Um, How about somebody reading um, eight to 14?
6: all
0: right these are basically um, calling upon us to do certain things like what thank God and praise God and tell about God and sing to Him. And one more particularly, seek Him. What have you said to thank God, to tell about Him, to sing to Him, to praise Him, and to seek Him? That's a pretty good summary of what we need to do toward God. To thank Him, to praise Him, to seek Him, to sing to Him, and to tell about Him. How do you do with those? What do you find that you have the biggest struggle with? To give thanks to the Lord? To sing to him? To make known his deeds among the peoples? To praise him? Or to seek him? What of those is the hardest for you to do? I think I know what it would be for most of us. I'm wondering if you come up with the same thing. You. I think so. What say? Make known his deeds. Mm-hmm. Would se- were several of you thinking that? Mm-hmm. Why would that be harder? So those between you and, God. <clears throat> and when you have to tell others about the greatness of God, what do you risk? Rejection, embarrassment and all that. And yet the Bible of Psalms especially are filled with that. One of the responsibilities that we have as people who love God and who want to praise Him is that we want to bring other people to praise Him, and we tell about the greatness of God. We, 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 we speak of all His wonders, we make known His deeds among the peoples. That's a responsibility. But we tell about the great things of God among people who may not believe in God, who may not care about God, but we need to be be praising him and telling what he's done to those people. And I think that's that's a major failing for us. Those others are struggles as well. But that might be one to particularly focus on. And it's appropriate when you know how great God is, why wouldn't you want to tell others about it? Comments and questions through verse fourteen. 15 to 22? what are they supposed to remember? His covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the covenant said that he would give them the land of Canaan and then he tells about how God protected them and guided them until they came into the land of Canaan so that to remember the great things God has done for them how he was with them and blessed them and helped them comments and questions about that? You're right.
5: Yeah, it was Hosea 11 that talked about it. And, and I, I I have, like, hey, they were tender and young, and he like, nursed them as they were on the show.
0: Bent down and taught them how to walk? And. Right. You
5: right. see God doing... It.
0: There is a lot to reminiscing and remembering and talking about all the things God has done. You know, the more we think about that and the more we talk about it, the more we rehearse that, the more we naturally thank and praise God and tell others about it. There's a lot of need to keep going back and, and remembering the great things God has done. Other comments? 23 and 33. unto Jehovah all the earth, show forth his salvation from day to day.
4: Declare his glory among the nations, the marvelous works among all the people. For great is Jehovah, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of people of peoples are idols, which Jehovah made to heaven. Honor and majesty are before him, strength <coughs> and gladness are in his place. Describe unto Jehovah all kinds of people. Describe unto Jehovah glory and strength. Describe unto Jehovah the glory due unto his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship Jehovah in and holy. Come before him all earth. The world is also established that cannot be moved. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, Jehovah reigneth. Let the sea roar and the fullness therefore, let the field ex exalt and let all that is therein. Then shall the trees, the wood,
0: Okay, again, we're singing and telling about the good things of salvation, telling about God's glory and his deeds, and he talks about God. What's God like? Great, great, Yeah, he's worthy of great praise. He's a great God, he's splendid, he's majestic, he's powerful, and we just need to give him glory and honor. He deserves it. He is an awesome God. Um, they, they, they bring the ark in. You know, they've got God's presence there with them. And, and that makes them think about the God that they have with them in Jerusalem. What's he like? What's he done? You know, and tries to, to, to you know, just inspire themselves by, by thinking about you know, who the Lord is and, and what he's done. And how, you know, he, he has established the earth. And all the nations ought to, to recognize the fact that the Lord is reigning. That he is, he's the one in control of everything that's in, in the creation. I mean, if you had to sum up what you've seen in this psalm, this psalm is about what? God, absolutely. We need to think and talk and meditate more on God. You know, God doesn't dominate our thinking maybe as much as he ought to. A song like this, it's just all about God. Then again, where are you going to go in the Bible where it's not all about God? I mean, that's, that's, there's just so much focus on, on him. The more we're filled with him, the more we'll do these things naturally, singing and praising and thanking and proclaiming him. Comments?
5: We know this, this text we have here is, I mean, comprised of the Psalms, the three Psalms mentioned. Would the, the Psalms have been written first, or would, the, would this, the text line, have been written first? Good question. Uh, because, I mean, those Psalms, the earliest number is 96, which would have been the fourth book, This would have been written later, probably, than the first books of the Psalms. Okay?
0: No, not compiled later, maybe, but not necessarily written later. I think it's the fourth book that has one Psalm of Moses in it.
5: And were those Psalms, uh, th- those three Psalms, written by David?
0: Oh, I don't think so. And 96, 96, 96 yeah. Let's look. I'm not sure. 96 is attributed to anybody. Yeah, neither a 105 or 106 Yeah, so they're not attributed. Um, it's a very good question which was written first. I don't know that I know the answer to that. I don't think it's just totally out of the question. The Lord may have inspired you know, um, them to, to say that here and then the, another psalmist to say it somewhere else. It's also a possibility. But I'm, I'm not sure which would have been prior if, if that's the case. Whether, whether they took from already written psalms to, to say this or whether some of these were separated out later to be sp- specific psalms or parts of specific psalms, I think you could see either one of those. Other thoughts, questions? Okay, thirty-four to thirty-six.:
4: I thank the Lord for his good. His mercy and his friend, and O oh God of self Gather
0: us together and deliver us from the gentiles. We thank to his holy name, silence and your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all people said Amen. And praise the All right, so thank God uh for what He's done, for how He's um, been our Savior, His love is forever, He needs to be praised forever. And uh so this is what they pray or sing, After they brought the Ark in in celebration before the greatness of God. Thoughts or comments on this uh, psalm? Okay, 37 to 43.
3: So we left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work requires. And Obed-Edom with his sixty-eight brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Gideon, and Hosah, to be gatekeepers, and Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priests, for the tabernacle of the Lord, at the high place that was at Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings regularly, morning and evening, and to do accordingly to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them, Haman and Jeditham, and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord, because his mercy endures forever. And with them, Haman and Jeditham, who sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jeditham are gatekeepers. And all
0: the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Okay, so um, you've got the, these priests and Levites that are ministering before the Lord, before the ark continually. But there are others who are not in Jerusalem. Where are they in verse 39? Why would they be at Gibeon when the ark is at Jerusalem? What was at Gibeon? The tabernacle. At this point in time, the tabernacle's in Gibeon, the ark is in Jerusalem. That's kind of weird, isn't it? They really got two centers of worship. They, they offer sacrifice at Gibeon and all that. That's where the ark, or that's where the tabernacle was, but they've actually built a place for the ark to be here in Jerusalem. Now, was that going to continue long term? What was going to change? when Solomon builds the temple, then the ark is brought into the temple and they consolidate the temple and the ark again. But right at this period, the ark is in Jerusalem, the tabernacle to worship was in Gibeon. Uh, perhaps the only time I know about where that was the case. Um, comments and questions? Anything on chapter 16? Yes?
2: Would that... With them building something to worship the Ark, with them building like a building, I guess, would that be something they would have needed to ask God about, whether they could do that? Or is that something that kind of just
0: goes along with the Ark? It's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously, the original intention was that the Ark be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. It hadn't been there for a long time, probably not since they took it out to take it into the battle against the Philistines in 1 Samuel 4. So exactly what God expected of them in this case, or what they even did, whether they did ask God or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's some things about that. There's some things like that that, that you see them happening, you don't see a, that God creates an issue about it, but you're not sure how God looked at it or if there was some more conversation that we don't know about. It's an excellent question. Other comments and questions? Yes. Why why don't we do something here?